Welcome to the Health Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Bissonnette Murphy, the founder and herbalist of Health Witch, H.W. Apothecary. Today we cover some fascinating history on the Basque culture and the witch trials in Spain. So I'm excited to have Jorge on today's episode. In this episode, we cover the persistence of one of the most ancient cultures in Europe, Basque culture, Basque witchcraft and its healers, and more. But before we get started, I wanted to focus on an herb of the day or a couple today. I went through and found some research in the Journal of Ethnopharmacology, and I came across an article titled Medicinal and Local Foods in Basque Country, Spain. So the researchers went around collecting information from 49 families in the area, And some of the most common species that they reported were rock tea, which is a traditional medicine of the Iberian culture to use for digestive issues or anything of the sort, chamomile, which I think many people have heard of chamomile before, and another one in particular, which is prunus spinosa, or also known as blackthorn. Now, this plant reminds me of something like a like a plum tree with these beautiful flowering white flowers on it. It's a shrub, but the, the berries themselves remind me of a blueberry, at least visually. And what they would do is that they would use these berries to make fermented alcoholic drinks, jams, and jellies. And the medicine of the black thorn, it's really used to treat colds, breathing conditions, and coughs. And that's just a couple of the uses. There are many more. And interesting enough, the wood of the tree takes on a really smooth polish, so it's commonly used to make handles, canes, and brooms. So I'm excited to get to the interview, so we're going to just jump right into it. Started. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Jorge Sanchez. I'm uh, originally from Spain. Um, so I came to the United States in, um, in 2001 uh, in order to pursue uh, my teaching diploma. Um, and then I, I, I landed at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Um, there I, I met my wife and I decided to stay. Um, there I pursued um, studies for my master's. Uh, with a concentration of the, on the Spanish Golden Age literature, which is the Spanish Renaissance. And when I completed uh, my master's, I transferred to the University of Chicago, where I pursued a PhD also in the Spanish literature of the Renaissance, of the Golden Age, which is the 16th and 17th century. And, and I concentrated um, on uh, the studies of demonology, demonolatry, superstitions. Um, I was very lucky uh, to go to the University of Chicago because my, uh, the director of my dissertation, Professor Frederick de Armas, is one of the world's leading uh, experts um, in astrology, uh, hermetism, uh, superstition, um, he does a bit of everything. He, he also concentrates on the connection between image and letter, especially the influence of the Italian paint, painters on uh, authors uh, in Spain, such as Miguel de Cervantes. But he, he works a lot of, uh, 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 with astrology, grimoires. And uh, so it was very nice to work with him. Um, also, the University of Chicago in the Department of Romance Languages, they have uh, Professor Armando Maggi, 
who has published several books on Satanism, um, like uh, especially uh, in the Italian Renaissance, uh, but he also uh, studies uh, some, uh, some uh, aspects of uh, pan-European uh, witchcraft and Satanism. So um, I, I chosen to be part of my uh, committee and. Uh, before his departure at the University of Chicago, we had Professor Ryan Giles, who is now at the Indiana at Indiana University in, in Bloomington, and he concentrates on Spanish medieval literature, but he especially studies um, the life of the saints, uh, superstitious uh, ideas of aspects of their. Uh, of their uh, hagiography, and so I think I got the perfect combination there. So I've been working with them, and since I left Chicago, um, I have embarked on several projects, um, working with astrology and, and superstition. Um, a second PhD that I'm completing at the Universidad de Oviedo in Spain uh, works with uh, uh, English adaptations of uh, Spanish uh, plays during the second half of the 17th century, which is during the r reign of the of Charles II of England, and uh, concentrate especially on uh, plays that uh, deal with uh, astrological predictions and how they were manipulated when they were taken to the English stage um, uh, in order to change and modify. Uh, and, and question the, the positive uh, imperial reading of, uh, of uh, um, for example, a, a, a comet or some kind of a astro a astronomical uh, event. Yeah? So they could see um, uh, like an eclipse or they could see like the, the birth of a new star and whereas in the original Spanish text it was read in positive terms when it was adapted uh, into the English stage, it was manipulated and modified in order to attack uh, an old European enemy. Mm. So um, that has been my research. Um, I have um, written and published articles based on my research and uh, at this moment, I'm currently working on a collection of uh, articles that um, try to um, analyze the, the different uh, treatises of the monology uh, written uh, in the 16th century in Spain, um, and then their influence on texts that were written by Spanish author, authors during that time, and uh, with a third section that concentrates on the works of Miguel de Cervantes. Uh, just for clarification, uh, I make the difference between the monology and the monolatry. The monolatry are cases of a wor a devil worshipping, uh, Satanism, uh, disobedience of the Christian orthodoxy, and the monology is the, um, the corpus of uh, works that are written by clergymen and try to describe those practices and condemn them and provide 
uh, either moral or uh, judicial sentences to those practitioners. Sure. So, so that's uh, what I'm working with, and, and that's where my research. Yeah, and I can imagine those texts are a pretty good insight into indigenous culture. You know, it's Christianity looking in at these really old, you know, in many regards, pagan traditions or maybe not pagan. I mean, but, and I think this is going to, I think it's really interesting. And then just kind of transcending here, going into looking at little known facts around some of the largest witch trials in Europe. Yeah, like, uh, I think people have a very general idea of these uh, witch trials. Um, the thing is that, um, for example, if you think about the word Inquisition, people normally associate Inquisition with Spain. And I think it has to do with the fact that the Spanish Inquisition uh, was the one that lasted the longest. So uh, we have the Spanish Inquisition being funded uh, at the end of the 15th century. And it's not abolished until the 1840s. Um, wow. So, yeah, it goes all the way to the, fir- to the 1843. Um, and also, it, people normally associate the Inquisition with Spain because obviously the Spanish Empire was huge and uh, since the uh, arrival of the Spaniards to America and to Asia. So you have, you know, you have uh, Spaniards from the south of the United States all the way to Argentina. And then you have Spaniards also in, in the Philippines, in Guam, and even at the end of the 16th century, when uh, Portugal is absorbed by Spain, you have um, uh, Spaniards in Macau, in Angola. So, so mm-hmm. just this, the, the impact that the Spanish Inquisition had in the world is huge. But when you count the numbers of people that suffer from the Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition was one of the, the weakest. Uh, and that's, uh, that's very interesting because normally uh, people uh, talk about the Spanish Inquisition as the worst when the, the worst was uh, the one in, in Germany. And, and there were several witch trials in Germany. Some of them uh, were uh, really important. And, and they were the consequence of the publication in 1487 of maybe the iconic text of witchcraft, which was the Maleus Maleficarum, which means the hammer of witches, um, that was written by uh, Kramer and Sprenger, who were three, uh, two German uh, inquisitors. They received the, the support of the Pope Innocent VIII in 1484 with the publication of a, of a papal bull named Sumis Desiderantis Affectivus, and, and that was kind of the tool that was used in order to consolidate the persecution against superstition. Before the publication of the book, the church had not been very active in the persecution of superstitions. In fact, we have authors like uh, St. Augustine that kind of doubts about the existence of witch, witches. Um, but it is uh, in the... 13th century, with the publication of the Summa Theologica of Thomas Aquinas, that he begins to 
um, build a case against the persecution of superstition. So now we are in the at the end of the 15th century with the publication of uh, the Maleus Maleficarum uh, by by Kramer and Sprenger, and it's the beginning of a series of uh, witch cases, witch, of trials against uh, witches, and just to uh, to talk about some. Uh, curious anecdotes that are related uh, to these cases. Uh, there are some important witch trials, for example, the one in Trier between 1581 and 1593. Um, that is contextualized in the fight in a religious war between Protestants and Catholics. Um, there were around 383 people that were executed. Um, but they normally persecuted Protestants, Jews, and witches, which um, anybody that deviated from the uh, dogma of the Catholic Church was persecuted. Um, then, for example, in the Fulda witch trials that takes place between 1603 and 1606, also in Germany, uh, 250 people died and, and this was used as a political tool, like, for example, by a leader uh, named the, uh, Balthasar von, von, von Denbach, who was a prince abbot and who had been exiled. And when he came in order to con solidify his authority, he started uh, several examinations of people that were accused of uh, superstitious practices. Mm, so when we talk about some of those people who were being prosecuted, can we talk a little bit more about what they were doing and who they were? Well, so they they were normally um, uh, either healers or they were people that um, um, people that escape a bit from the control of the of the authority. Uh, we have, uh, for example. Um, uh, I mean, some of these trials, for example, the trial of Bamberg that takes place during the 30 years war, which is the war between Catholics and Protestants. So, mm. you know, it was an easy uh, way to accuse your uh, religious enemy of some uh, uh, evil practices, right? Like the evil eye, the cast of storms, the plagues, the, the, the disaster in the crops. So they were like, uh, invented stories um, of uh, animosity between uh, neighbors that um, they hated or they had some kind of uh, confrontation. Um, there is an, an, an interesting uh, series of trials uh, in the Baltic area, so in the area of Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, so close to Scandinavia, where uh, some people are accused of being uh, werewolves and and the connection between being a werewolf and witch is very close here and they were um, this is interesting because the notion of being a werewolf was not something evil at this time in many rural areas uh, it was uh, kind of a, a, a status or kind of a transformation or kind of a connection that you had magical connection um, that was used in order to provide a service to the society. But in this, in this case, 
um, there are several individuals that are accused of making a pact with the devil, uh, adopting a bestial um, shape and uh, causing harm to, to the community. And, and we have cases uh, in Central Europe and, and in the Baltic area. And, and then, you know, the, the, the one that I know the, the most, because I normally, most of my research focuses on uh, Spanish demonology, which is what I, what I study as a, as a job, is the one that takes place in the Basque country. Um, the Basque country, uh, as people may know, it's in the north of Spain, like in the border with France. So Basque country is half of it in Spain, half of it in France. There are four provinces in Spain, uh, Vizcaya, Guipúzcoa, Alaba, and Navarra. And then there are three uh, provinces in the south of France. Um, and the, that was uh, maybe... Um, a turning point in the study of witchcraft and demonology in Spain because it takes place in the first decade of the 17th century. It starts in 1609 and lasts for two years. Um, and this kind of uh, represents the end of the persecutions because uh, there have been a lot of doubts. There, have, there was a huge skepticism against the existence of witches and this uh, constitute uh, this represents um, the kind of the discovery of a whole complot against um, paganism, uh, um, healing methods that were uh, that escaped from the um, the commercial medicine of the time, um, and then that. The, some people were examined, a total of 7,000 people, mm. um, but at the end they, they realized that uh, most of the accusations were invented and only around 11, 13 people uh, were burned. And out of those, five or six had died already in prison after torture or just uh, of age, and they were burned in the shape of uh, wax candles. Uh, just to represent their moral uh, execution. So um, yeah, we have people that were accused of uh, escaping from uh, kind of the, or deviating from the paradigm of uh, a moral uh, member of society, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to talk about uh, the, the past trials more in, in depth, um, we need to understand that uh, in the past country, we have a population that they spoke a language that was different from Spanish. So, and that was the whole, the, yeah, one of the other questions. How Basque, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but Basque people in that Basque culture is known to be one of the most ancient cultures of all of Europe. Yeah, I mean, so there, there is not a, a, a final conclusion about uh, where the Basque people came from, or come from, or... Um, so there are several hypotheses. So, yeah, and part of that was looking at the language too, just how much yeah. they're able to hold on through their traditions. Exactly. It may be that so, so, so Basque is one of the few languages that do not does not it doesn't belong from the Indo-European family. The Indo-European families, um, a family that includes all languages spoken in Europe, and you have there the Basque. Uh, 
surrounded by languages coming from Latin, so Spanish, Galician, Catalan, French, Portuguese. And then you have also Germanic languages, English, German, right? Um, and then you have there the Basque in the middle that is not associated with any language in the area. The closest it is, as it is, is uh, closer to languages in, from Georgia um, and and the and the uh, Azerbaijan, that kind of area in the Caucasian. Those are the languages that are closer to the Basque. Well, we don't know where. Uh, how the uh, Basque language came. Um, there are hypotheses that say that yeah, they, that could be even the language that was spoken by Neanderthals, that uh, in prehistory times when the first hominid um, uh, uh, emerged and, and began to communicate orally, and that was the language uh, spoken there are also hypotheses that that is the language spoken by Adam and Eve in the Genesis. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, there are many hypotheses. Sure. Um, and and I, so, and so, it, that was one yeah. of my other questions, too, not to jump all around here and get you sidetracked. But, you know, when I've done some of the research or going through, they consider Basque country being the last seat of the Neanderthal population. So maybe that's where they're drawing that. Yeah, yeah so, so so that that is one uh, hypothesis they have. Uh, we need to be careful with these things because um, the rise of the Basque language in the at the end of the nineteenth century was associated with some uh, racist movements in mm. in in the Basque country. We have Sabino Arana that talk about the 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 purity of the Basque uh, blood, uh, saying that they are not stain they are not uh, um, mixed with other races I mean we know that uh, the Basque have always been very protective of their land and of their identity both linguistic and cultural mm-hmm. I'm half I'm half Basque my dad is from the Basque country my my uh, third last name is Arrieta means uh, related to stone in, in Basque so I'm Jorge Abril Sanchez Arrieta that is Basque Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there, there was a, a kind of a, a nationalistic m- movement that now has reached modern times with the secessionist movement in the Basque country, trying to uh, separate both from Spain and from from um, from France. And one pe- people may wonder, like, if that was a factor for the for the um, start of the Basque witch trials. Of course. Uh, you can imagine a, 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 a territory like Castile and Aragon that was tra- was being unified and united, and then you have a section that um, is speaking a language that is different from the Castilian Spanish that was being promoted. Um, so that and the fact that the church could hear uh, rural peasants speaking a language that they couldn't understand, that was something threatening to them. Also, you need to take into account that the Basque country is very mountainous. So there are many mountains, there are many creeks, there are many caves, and, and, and you know, it, it, there is a very strong folkloric tradition in that uh, area. You have women that were often left alone at home 
because their husbands uh, were whalers and they would leave to, to hunt whales and they were left at home in charge of the domestic uh, economy of the, of the household. Mm. So that was, uh, again, you have women that didn't depend on their, on their husbands for a long period of time and that was something that also the, both the religious and the civil uh, authorities wanted to, to control. Um, but uh, yeah, like you have not just the past, but if you go through the whole uh, uh, ocean uh, in, in, in northern Spain, all the way from Galicia to Asturias, Cantabria, and the Basque Country, you see that even today we have a very strong uh, superstitious uh, mythology, a folkloric mythology in the north of Spain that is not thought to contradict the religious orthodoxy, but complement it. So uh, it's the, these Basque uh, uh, witch trials uh, need to be contextualized uh, with the use of a, of a language that is not the, the official language, the, the kind of the tough and the rough uh, uh, terrain in which these populations live, and also a very strong paganism in, in the region that is still uh, believed today. Mm, that's fascinating. So, yeah, can you talk a little bit more about their their paganist culture, a little bit more about their healing practices? And again, I don't know even today if they consider themselves to be witches or not, or, you know, just talk a little bit more about that culture. Yeah, so, for example, like, uh, the main case, uh, I mean, the trials in the Basque Country took place in Logroño, which is not part of... Uh, uh, the Basque Country, which is part of La Rioja, which is the neighboring province, but that's where the the, the kind of the judicial authority resided, um, and there were accusations of some pagan practices in caves, like the one in Zugarramurdi, and today Zugarramurdi has become kind of like Salem, uh, like kind of a touristic resort uh, where you can even go down the cave, you can see um, kind of the, the location where supposedly uh, pagan rites took place. Um, but um, we need to uh, explore a bit <clears throat> the Basque mythology in order to understand why this was taking place. You have in the Basque mythology, um, the main figure is uh, Mari, uh, which Mari in, in Basque, Maria in Spanish, Mary in, uh, in English. And which is the goddess of the Basques. Uh, she is, for, uh, in, in the mythology, married to a god called Sugar, and, and they, they are connected, both of them, uh, with weather. Uh, they are Mother Nature, they are weather. They, they uh, live in, in a cave, and they are normally accompanied by storms and droughts, and depending on where they reside, uh, they will have rain or they will have drought. Normally, if, if they are residing in a place called Amboto, it is wet, they have rain, and if they go to different locations, uh, there are different options, they will have uh, drought. And they are normally asso uh, associated with um, uh, witches, that they were followed by a party of uh, witches, and they would organize Aquilares or Sabbaths, that are uh, which uh, meetings, and and they were also connected with uh, the idea of uh, f fertility. 
so they were important figures uh, for fertility because the Spanish witchcraft uh, kind of persecuted these uh, women that uh, acted as midwives, um, as uh, natural healers. I mean, you can see that both in the uh, in the records that we have in archives, but also in the literature of, of the time. I mean, one of the main texts in Spanish literature is La Celestina, and what does La Celestina do? She is in charge of suing the hymen of women who have lost the virgi uh, virginity either on purpose or just by accident so that they could get married and not be repudiated by the families. And they, they would help women to deliver baby, babies. So in kind of, they, they, they work like midwives. Mm -hmm. um, they, they also provided as, um, potions for love. And one famous potion was like uh, uh, made with the powder of, uh, of teeth. And, and that supposedly was uh, uh, useful in order to attract uh, uh, lovers. Um, they would also take care of uh, um, cramps and pain uh, associated with the, the period. Um, so all, all these uh, natural uh, remedies uh, are a part of, uh, of this, uh, this course. If we go to the texts, uh, uh, of the time, uh, like the, these traditions of the monology that I study, uh, there are many other uh, cases that are mentioned. Um, they are talking about, uh, for example, uh, using uh, pieces uh, of hair or, or to hang hair around your neck uh, in order to protect you. And they all talk about what they we say in Spanish in salmos or nominas which are normally uh, a text um, in which you can include uh, like a, a, a prayer or some kind of uh, religious saying that you would hold uh, around your neck and that will also uh, protect you. Um, so those are the kind of practices that were uh, um, examined and investigated because they suspected that uh, and this comes from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, that uh, the devil interceded in this deal. Like uh, when we have individuals that are practicing uh, an art, either medicine or divination, and they are uh, kind of uh, breaking the natural order because they are providing a service using tools that were not approved, by the authority, they suspect that that power was uh, uh, was taken uh, by the devil from the divine authority, from God, and that was uh, shared with these healers in order to kind of um, compete with the religious authority and uh, kind of uh, recruit uh, followers from the church. And because of that, they didn't. They wanted to have a very strict. Uh, clear message and they would uh, persecute anybody that uh, deviated from the dogma. Yeah. 
And you did mention, you know, some of these traditions are still very much alive today. So it's amazing that they, even after going through all that, they were still able to have that. But you did talk about the terrain and how, you know, in many cases, a little bit isolated with the mountains and just overall, which is really interesting. But, you know, more in the contemporary sense now, you know, are a lot of people trying to dig up those or are they still just really, really present now? No, no, it's... it's uh... It's very common uh, still to go. Like uh, if, uh, we have a kind of rural witches, we have uh, curanderos, which are kind of shamanes, um, and they would go. I mean, these traditions. I'm from northern Spain in Asturias, so if you start from northern Portugal, you have Galicia, then Asturias. That's where I am from, where my parents moved um, before I was born, and then Cantabria and the Basque, which is where my dad comes from. So all through the north of Spain, you have uh, communities that are hard to access and that um, had their own kind of cultural, linguistic identity and that they have their own remedies for solutions. I mean, we have areas that uh, were hard to reach. So you don't have a, a, a doctor coming from the capital in order to provide right. medical services. Um, you don't have uh, the priest, many priests controlling these areas that are dispersed in the mountains. So what happens? Well, they, they, they took care of themselves. So they would use natural products. They will, uh, for example, I mean, I remember when I was a, a kid uh, in the 80s, my mom or my dad would go to the mountains and and get eucalyptus and and then they will boil the branches and the leaves when we had a cold and and they would put a pot on the on, on our bedroom and all those fumes and, and smells will help you to uh, breathe better. I mean what is eucalyptus? That's big vapor wrap, mm. right? I mean, Vicks Vapor Rub are made of eucalyptus, but we, yeah. we didn't use Vicks Vapor Rub. They would use natural uh, remedies. Um, or, you know, the idea that, uh, for example, eating uh, um, eating carrots are good for your for your eyes, or garlic is good for the for your blood pressure. I mean, you have uh, a lot of uh, um, cases of uh, these kind of. Uh, natural doctors that we can give you kind of a, 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 a potion using natural um, ingredients that will try to find a solution to, uh, to a, an illness or a pathology that has not been able to be, uh, you have not been able to cure going to the modern medicine, right, to go to the traditional uh, uh, doctor. So, so yeah, like even today, um, we have uh, people going to the mountains, going to the creeks, going. Um, it's a very uh, wild um, landscape uh, and, and, you know, looking for uh, uh, natural elements that will be used and uh, in order to treat uh, some, um, some, some ache. So, uh, yeah, it's a still, it's a st herbology is a still very uh, strong in, in, in the north of Spain. Oh, I love that. 
And you think about it too, 70% of the world really focuses on this, you know, alternative medicine or indigenous medicine, because as you said, people don't have access or the money to go to the doctor. You know, I'm sure even if you're in the city, it's, it, you know, some, you know, it's going to be a little bit expensive. Again, it's more socialized, but still getting in to see the doctor is going to be a hurdle because it just is, you know, there's, there's so many people and so many doctors. Um, yeah. And, and also it's more like the doctor would not come to these places. So, yeah. I mean, so you had maybe a, a doctor that would kind of tour there and go around, but you have uh, towns of like 50, 60, 70 people in the mountains. Uh, the, the doctor is not going to go there. So they had to figure out how to find a solution. And, and this, and uh, you know, that we have the, the traditions of the, um, a, a long tradition of our, uh, anthropological studies that uh, still re, uh, fight to maintain and to save all this knowledge, all this ancient knowledge, uh, not just about uh, about our history or about origin, but also about common practices. Uh, if you go to the Anthropological Museum of Asturias and the Basque Country, you will see how they live at that time, what were they, uh, what their lifestyle was, what were the utensils that they used, what were the recipes that they that they prepare for the for the day. Um, and remedies that they had in order to uh, attend and their neighbors. Mm. Yeah, that's just, that's great that people are, you know, preserving this knowledge. So just for some of the listeners, if they really want to dive a little bit deeper into um, some of these anthropological journals, can you tell listeners um, how to find those? Yeah, unfortunately, most of the texts are in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the consequences of being so isolated is that um, it has been kept uh, in a very uh, limited uh, circle. So there is a, an editorial in, As- in Asturias in northern Spain called TREA, T-R-E-A, that will publish uh, uh, a text about mythology, anthropology, superstitions, witchcraft, uh, that will cover this and kind of knowledge that the texts are written in, in Spanish. If you want to read about um, uh, the traces of the monology that uh, examine these superstitions, these healers, these uh, uh, individuals that escape from the authorities, uh, you have to go either to the National Library of Spain in Madrid where you have the original manuscript from the 16th century, mm. or you have to wait, bit, uh, you know, uh, wait for an author that will embark on the edition and publication of this text. So mm-hmm. recently, the, we have published uh, the treatise uh, by Martin de, de Andosilla y Arles, entitled "The Superstitionibus" or about superstitions that covers. Uh, uh, these enchantments, these healing uh, remedies, and 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 it was lately edited by Felix Tomas Lopez Urpegui. And then about the the witch trials, you have several books, and these are in in English. So these are more available for the uh, international uh, public. And there is one excellent book by Gustav Henningsen, 
The title is The Witches Advocate, Basque Witchcraft and the Spanish Inquisition. Mm. And it was published by the University of Nevada Press. So it was published here in the United States. And then there is this um, Dutch editorial uh, called Brill, which is a really respectful, very respectful and, and very, um, uh, very good editorial and has published texts about the Basque, the Basque witch trials. They have published the Salazar documents, uh, the title is Inquisitor Alonso de Salazar Frias and others of the Basque witch persecution, also pub, uh, published by Gustav Henningsen, and, and then um, the treaties of the Inquisitor that persecuted the, the Basque witches at the, in the first decade of the 17th century, and the Inquisitor was Pierre de Langre, and uh, the title is On the Inconstancy of Witches. And, and, and these are, uh, here you can get all the, also in Brill, this is also policy, oh, no, not in Brill, sorry. This is published by Arizona State. Um, yeah, in, uh, yeah uh, Arizona Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies. And so these texts are in English, and that they will give you a lot of information about um, the fight between those that were skeptical of the existence of witches and those that were trying to, to push the, the persecution that was coming from Germany. You will have how, uh, the accusations about the witch trials and you will have the explanation of the resolution in which they decided that there was not such a case as um, some uh, people tried to, to, to propose. So more things are coming, and my, my, the book I'm working on it will come up and will be published by the end of this year in an editorial of Juan de la Cuesta uh, here in Delaware uh, the, in the United States. And I will, uh, the title is uh, Demonology and Demonolatry in the Age of Cervantes, and it has uh, the contributions of some of the best uh, experts in the world on, on this topic. So. More, more is coming, and that would be in English, but still uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of work to be done sure. uh, in order to expand, the, 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 uh, to open this, the, 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 the readership of, of these studies, because um, many of the texts are still in the libraries, in the national libraries, and they have not been published in modern times. I am so excited for your publication. So that is, that's awesome. And you have so much work ahead of you. And I hope to keep in touch with you because this is just absolutely fascinating. And I thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add for our listeners before we depart. Well, I, I just uh, hope that uh, this has been uh, interesting for for the audience. And I, and I hope that they... Um, do some research, they join us because, the, again, there are a lot of texts that need to be rescued from oblivion and, and then there is a lot of work to be done. So um, this is just the beginning. All right. Thank you so much, Jorge. Take Thank care. You. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. 
And as always, always feel free to reach out to me if you have questions, comments, feedback on today's episode, or if you're just looking for more information, you can always email me at info at healthwitch.org. I'm also on Instagram at health underscore witch underscore and on Facebook at healthwitch. So everyone be well.